Welcome to ETF Working Lunch, an ETF.com podcast in partnership with women in ETFs. We sit down every other week with some of the smartest women in the ETF industry, and we talk about trends, ideas, life in the biz. I'm Cynthia Murphy, here with my colleague, Laura Krieger. Hello. And today, we are chatting about active management with none other than Kathy Wood, founder and CEO of ARK Investment. Kathy, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, pleasure, Cynthia and Laura. So, Kathy, let's start big picture. There is a widely accepted so-called universal truth in the ETF industry that active management does not work long-term. Sometimes it does short-term, but it's really not the best way to go. Our ETFs, your ETFs, you have seven of them in the market today, have really challenged that notion. They outperform year after year. Many of them have held really well this year, despite all the turbulence. We would love to hear from you the how, the why. What sets ARC's approach to active management apart? Okay, well, thank you for that wonderful setup. Um, <laughs> what sets us apart uh, is our research. Uh, and uh, the research, when, when we use that word in the asset management world, typically uh, uh, investors are talking about the fundamental uh, bottom-up research, which we most certainly do. Our time horizon is very different. It's a five-year time horizon uh, compared to the very short-term time horizons uh, of most a- active managers. Um, but our research from the top down is highly differentiated. In fact, we really do not see anyone doing the same kind of research out there. It's first principle, uh, first principles research, which effectively means, you know, here's a white sheet of paper. Uh, Tasha Keeney, who's uh, one of our lead analysts, uh, go figure out what an autonomous vehicle is going to be, what's going to go in it, uh, and let's try and find and build a model and figure out, uh, given that this electric vehicle uh, using battery technology and autonomous vehicles, uh, effectively robots being powered by artificial intelligence, let's figure out the cost curve declines or the learning curves associated with each of those technologies. And, uh, and, and we have to be very collaborative doing this. You know, we have a robotics and energy storage analyst. We have an artificial intelligence analyst. And then Tasha pulls it all together in our autonomous vehicle and autonomous taxi network. But she started it off by, with a white sheet of paper saying, okay, what's going to go into this? Mm-hmm. And we surfaced companies that no one even dreamed in 2014 would have anything to do with autonomous vehicles, NVIDIA being one of those stocks. Uh, and, uh, and, and a stock highly undervalued and underappreciated wow. and misunderstood in the marketplace. Uh, so we, we are looking at technology that is cutting across sectors and causing many companies to fall through the cracks of traditional uh, research, at least uh, the way traditional uh, research organizations are set up today. They're very siloed, very specialized, and very short-term oriented. Our analyst responsibilities are broken out by the five major innovation platforms that we believe are evolving right now into exponential growth opportunities. We spend all our time on it. It's focused. 
And, um, and we believe that this is not a niche strategy. We believe this is the way the world's going to work. Uh, and so that's why we want to put so many resources toward it. And this, uh, this kind of active research is being rewarded in the marketplace. Where did you even, you mentioned the five pillars of uh, disruptive tech, um, you know, autonomous vehicles and genomics research and, and so on and so forth. You, you have five of them. How did you even decide upon these? Where did you, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the white piece of paper. How did you even know what to write on the paper to start with, you know? Right, right. I think the most interesting um, aspect of this is it's kind of the elephant in the room. If you go into the innovation centers of the world, Silicon Valley, Silicon Alley, Silicon Beach, Silicon Dock, uh, you go into Israel, uh, and uh, you will find that the innovators are heads down focused on these technologies. So it's DNA sequencing, it's uh, robotics, uh, especially now that we're moving towards collaborative robots. It's energy storage now that electric vehicle prices uh, are, are about to drop below uh, traditional gas-powered vehicle prices. It's artificial intelligence now that we've taken the human programmer out of it. Uh, it's, it's blockchain technology. And, and the reason they're all ready for prime time is... Uh, each of these technologies has been writing down a learning curve, a cost curve, uh, that now makes it very interesting. It's, the costs are so low that we're seeing waves of demand being unleashed by these lower price points. And uh, I think, and, and the other thing is they're being supported by 14 different technologies. So it's not, these are the five platforms. There are 14 technologies involved in these platforms. Uh, and our focus is simply that of, uh, you know, the innovators in uh, the communities we're researching. Uh, and, and it's the reason why we've opened up our research in infrastructure to allow them in. Uh, we are pushing our research through uh, social media, Twitter importantly, but through any social network that will help us get closer to those communities, engage with them, and actually become a part of them. Uh, so I think it's a special moment from a technology point of view. We haven't had five platforms evolving at the same time ever. <laughs> the closest you get to this is back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. You had telephone, electricity, and the automobile all evolving at the same time. And they were going to transform the way the world was going to work and make it a better place. So there's a lot of organic sustainability included in this strategy. Well, it, clearly it's resonating in a way that other active managers have not been able to get their funds to resonate. I mean, your biggest ETF, the ARK Innovation ETF, RKK, is now a $3 billion fund, is the largest actively managed equity ETF in the market by a long shot. And it's it's interesting to me because disruptive tech is cool, it's growthy, it's like exciting as a segment, but it's also risky because you're a lot of times talking about really small companies that are really on the edge of discoveries or breaking new ground and they can make it or break it. So the the fact that RKK has gotten to the size it has really is, is really impressive. Well, there I think there are a couple of reasons for this. One, we are so highly focused 
And, and we, uh, we do so much outreach with our research to try and educate not only investors, but anyone who wants to understand how the world is going to work. We know uh, parents want to un- understand, parent, uh, grandparents want to, so they can guide their children. They also happen to be investors, and they know that the, the topics we're talking about, the platforms we, uh, around which we center all of our research, they know they don't have enough of these transformative technologies in their portfolios, no matter how old they are. Even retirees, they're looking at, at, uh, at us in, in a different way because they are seeing their traditional growth and value strategies disrupted by many of these technologies. And to the extent they have moved towards index-based strategies, or even if they're active, but very uh, benchmark sensitive, which most active managers migrated toward after 0809, um, uh, they, uh, they know that they don't have enough exposure, enough hedges to the value traps that are increasingly populating these traditional benchmarks. And you mentioned risk and volatility, and uh, I, I will say we're the first to say we're a volatile strategy. But I think in the last 20 years, since the tech and telecom bust and the 0809 meltdown, I think that because the VIX has soared with every downturn, that investors and advisors have lost, um, lost the perspective that volatility can work two ways. Hmm. Uh, volatility... Uh, when in a bull market is a very good thing. And uh, I, I think because w- what I love about the period of time we're in and launching the strategy when we did is there was so much fear about another internet bubble, another bubble that will destroy me. There was so much focus on the risk side of the equation that they couldn't see clearly into the opportunities. They were blinded a bit by the risk. That's a great time to launch a strategy. And the launch will be slow, uh, slow in the beginning, but then it will gain traction if we're right about these five platforms hitting prime time for their exponential uh, growth uh, curves. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, since you brought up, uh, you know, the the one ETF that, uh, you know, RK, right? But uh, I think that ARC uh, G, which is your genomics uh, ETF, is is probably like the stealthy, most interesting ETF in your suite because it's, I mean, it's by far and away right now the best performing healthcare ETF on the market. Um, it's you just been you know, doing doing gangbusters right now. Probably because, you know, look around us, right? We're in a, a, a really great moment for, for healthcare stocks and healthcare ETFs um, in general. But I'm just curious, like, is this really with uh, ARC-G, is this a case of the right investment for the right moment in time? Um, did you kind of foresee this ETF taking off quite as it has? Yeah, I, um, I thought for a long time that ARKG was the most underappreciated and misunderstood uh, of all of our ETFs, uh, and therefore probably, uh, in our mind, most certainly underpriced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the reason is, um, what we have here is technology, to use a, an idiomatic expression, 
blowing through the healthcare space. And what, what we have in traditional research organizations are analysts in the healthcare space who are very specialized and excellent at what they do. Uh, but they have never felt really comfortable with technology, just like technology analysts have never felt very comfortable with healthcare. Huh. Uh, one moves too fast and seems so risky. The other re- seems so highly regulated and slow moving. Uh, and so what we have are three technologies converging right now uh, that are going to transform healthcare completely. The healthcare we know today will be unrecognizable in, uh, we're going to say, three to five years. And that's because of the convergence of uh, DNA sequencing, where we can now identify mutations uh, from year to year evolving in our genomes, and therefore we're able to catch cancer in stage one. Uh, So it's DNA sequencing along with artificial intelligence, which will help us find out the pathways of disease and identify them earlier and earlier and uh, CRISPR gene editing, uh, as well as other cell therapies. Um, These hold the promise for curing disease. So uh, DNA sequencing can uh, can surface the mutations, identify the mutations in in anyone's genome. And then as CRISPR gene editing evolves, we believe that it and other cell therapies ultimately will be able to correct the programming errors in our genome. Mutations are programming errors. Our DNA goes haywire for some reason or another. Sometimes it's genetic, sometimes it's um, somatic, which means uh, not genetic, maybe because of environmental factors uh, uh, and so forth. So Mm -hmm. the convergence of these three technologies are going to completely transform healthcare. The old way of investing in healthcare will not exist, we think, in the next three to five years. So we have just gotten there a little sooner. And it's at a time when when it came to just CRISPR gene editing, for example, the traditional uh, research world uh, really didn't have much time for it. Uh, And the reason was it hadn't even entered human trials. Uh, And I understand that very small cap stocks uh, hadn't entered human trials. But our analysts have actually used CRISPR gene editing. That's one thing our analysts have. They have domain expertise. They're very comfortable with technology. Every one of them, no matter what uh, industry or or set of companies they follow. And so we've seen it work in agriculture. Hmm. And now first human trials in the U.S. uh, We have seen two cures, very early stage, one for sickle cell disease and one for beta thalassemia. Um, both, Both of them blood oriented. Now, of course, that's two people. Uh, uh, this is still not interesting enough for most healthcare analysts. For, for Because we understand the power of these three technologies converging, this is extremely interesting to us. And I think we are looking at curing diseases. Uh, just to give you a sense of how undervalued these stocks are, there are three stocks in the uh, CRISPR gene editing world that have the foundational patents for this technology. They, no matter who develops a therapy based on gene editing, they will get royalties. If I had told you in the tech and telecom bubble that three companies out there held the patents that would cure disease, uh, my guess is, given the opportunity, the three of them would have cumulatively increased to 200 to $300 billion in market cap. Today, 
These three companies, Editas, Intellia, and CRISPR Therapeutics, they have had trouble getting to and sustaining $5 billion in market cap. Now, Apple has transformed our lives, to be sure, and they're even getting into the healthcare space. Apple is a trillion dollar, well above a trillion dollar company now. But it has not cured disease, nor will it cure disease. It'll monitor it. These companies will. That just gives you a sense of how undervalued these, these opportunities are. Yeah, I mean, look just how Zoom's <laughs> market cap rose this year. And all they allow us to do is to see each other through a computer. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah. tech has a weird effect. You know, when uh, when we were prepping for this conversation today, Lara was uh, remembering a great, a great quote from you from a few years ago um, when she interviewed you, um, when you said that you did not anticipate how little the ETF world really understood um, about active investing when you started ARK Invest. When you come to a year like 2020, I mean, there's been so many headlines about this volatility, the market craziness. This is the time for active managers to shine and show their worth. Do you think ETF uh, investors, the industry still doesn't understand active investing? Do you lose sleep when you see, do you feel pressure to prove your worth when people are expecting active managers to shine? Or does it just roll off your back and you have your, your credentials and you don't worry about it? How do you navigate the, the perception battle of the business? When I'm answering a question like this, uh, and, and it usually has to do with our research, uh, we're very well known for Tesla and, and a few other stocks. And I, oh, when, when we're in a down and out moment for the stocks, when you know, the market doesn't seem to appreciate what we believe is going to happen, uh, I always say to our analysts, truth wins out. Truth wins out. Don't worry about it. If we're right on this research, if 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 this five-year forecast is correct, uh, what we have here in our strategies is deep value. And it sounds crazy to say that, huh. uh, but we because of our time horizon. If you give us that time horizon, exponential growth is something highly underappreciated, even in the active management world. Uh, exponential growth simply means that uh, a growth rate uh, will be sustained in the whatever the very high growth range is, 20, 30, 40 percent over five to 10 years. Most active managers assume that the growth rate might be that fast for a few years, but the decay rate will be very rapid as well to GDP growth. Amazon has proven that wrong. And we believe we're on the threshold of many, many more Amazons. So I, I do believe, and one of the reasons we put our research out there, heck, we've put our Tesla model on GitHub uh, for, for anyone to, to uh, experiment with. You can change our assumptions and you know, put in the most bearish assumptions and you'll find out how robust the model is. Um, and, but it's because we want to educate people. Truth wins out. This is how, how we believe the world is going to evolve. We know you don't believe this right now, and we understand that uh, because we're, we're, we're doing different kinds of research. However, just, just check it out. And if the world does seem to be evolving this way, come, come for the ride with us. And I'm, I'm not just talking about ETF flows. I'm talking about other analysts in other, in other firms doing research uh, who who are excited by these opportunities as well, and and who can think cross sector 
really feel comfortable with technology in the healthcare space, in the industrial space, in the utility space. Uh, come join the ride. You know, one of the things, uh, you know, listening to you and 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 one of the things that I just appreciate so much about ARC Invest is how, like how passionate you are about what you invest in. I think it's really um, quite refreshing and, and especially um, refreshing is also the transparency. You know, you were just talking about how you, you put uh, your Tesla model up on GitHub and, and, and you're so open about what you invest in and why you invest in it. And I think that's um, very refreshing from an active management standpoint. Um, you know, there are now these semi-transparent uh, active ETF structures that have hit the market. They conceal uh, daily portfolio holdings from investors. And I, is this something that kind of you would be interested in? Does it go against your ethos of, of full transparency? Like, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I'm happy that uh, others are are considering the ETF wrapper because I think it is such a good wrapper. Uh, but uh, as far as our own ethos and culture, uh, we will not be going in that direction. We're active and fully transparent. We think that's what uh, investors and advisors want. Uh, uh, and we also want to excite them about the new world as well. Uh, so we want to be very open. Um, and, and that's why you're doing this podcast for the ETF world, which I think is fantastic. Uh, uh, we're doing podcasts weekly as well now. And it is to, uh, again, try and reach yet another audience. Maybe it'll be more than millennials and just get them really excited about what's going to happen and, and, and to get them to, you know, hitch their wagon, to use an old expression, to some of these trends in terms of investing for their own future, whether they do it through individual stocks or ETFs. Uh, but we want to we want to guide them in the right direction. So no, we'll not be doing uh, semi or non-transparent ETFs. We will remain uh, transparent in terms of our ETFs. We have um, uh, other wrappers because our clients have asked us uh, to manage. Uh, funds within them. And we're quite happy to do that. Uh, but in terms of our ETFs, uh, we think one of their selling points uh, uh, is transparency. Right, right. Active management, uh, you know, and I realize we only have a few more minutes left, uh, but I do want to ask you this. Uh, active management really depends on the conviction and the discretion of the manager, of course. So tell us, what are if you had to pick, what's um, maybe the best investment call you've made so far and one of the worst investment calls that you've made thus far? Okay. Um, I'll start with the worst so we can end this on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, of, one of the most debilitating experiences for me in my career was actually um, using a, a, a macro judgment call, which required politicians to play ball uh, and uh, invest accordingly. So I was um, at uh, uh, one of my prior firms. Uh, I was in charge, or I was the analyst in charge of uh, Mexico when Mexico was really coming of age, mm. uh, really breaking out. And so this was in the early 90s. And we had amazing success uh, and uh, uh, came to 1994 and 
I believed that uh, uh, the president of Mexico at the time, Ortiz, I believe was his name, I believed he would not devalue his currency because he, if he did, uh, all of our stocks would be marked down that day. Uh, well, of course, in December of 94, uh, i never forget this, I had three young children and uh, we were all getting ready for Christmas. They devalued yeah, and uh, it killed. It ki- it made the difference between outperforming that year and underperforming, and I was the person responsible for that. Uh, so I'll never forget that, and it's given me a healthy dose of skepticism uh, when we run into, especially emerging market situations where we we have to rely on um, uh, politicians for our investment thesis. So what we have as part of ARC is. Uh, something called thesis risk. It's a metric that we actually score and we think about it every week uh, in the context of what's going on. So that was more uh, of a macro. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that another one was, and it, and it really uh, cemented my conviction that I needed to uh, bring into research, a uh, research team, uh, analysts with domain expertise in technology uh, so this, I mean, it didn't kill us or anything, but it was highly embarrassing. XM satellite radio now, uh, known as Sirius. Yeah. Um, you know, we thought we were early into this whole streaming, uh, uh, streaming idea. Uh, but satellites are not the internet and it was just a fundamental technology, technology mistake. Uh, so now we have a brainstorm every Friday from 1030 to 1230. We invite anybody from the outside who might to listen, uh, like to listen and often it is those people who are tuning in saying, wait a minute, you're missing something here, which is great. And then the two best, I have to say Amazon, uh, mostly because Amazon, because it, it, it was my first experience of truly exponential growth and sticking to our guns and having one of the best rides ever, even though from 2002, when we entered the position to, I'm going to say 2006, uh, it was nothing but a huge trading range, and we we were ridiculed regularly. Mm-hmm. And then we have had an echo with that with Tesla, a uh, huge trading range from the big time we began the firm in 2014 until uh, late last year. So that was six years. Um, but we stuck to our guns, and we actually made a lot of money with Tesla because we played those trading range. That's ranges. That's the great thing about active management. We actually added in 2018 uh, 170 basis points of alpha, alpha meaning just uh, relative to the portfolio had we not done this, Um, uh, just in one stock, Tesla. And that was a year that was negative for the year. So that meant a lot. We were up for the year and the market was down. So trading around massive trading ranges is is a, a wonderful way to deliver uh, results. So I think those are our two best. Well, that is just absolutely fascinating stuff, but unfortunately we're going to have to leave it there. Um, thank you so much, Kathy, for joining us, uh, this week. It was really a fun conversation with you. Oh, thank you, Laura and Cynthia. Uh, wonderful to be with you and (laughs) greetings to all the women in ETF out there. Uh, so for more information on uh, active management or ARC funds or anything related to ETFs or to catch up on previous episodes, please feel free to visit us at ETF.com. And for more information on how to get involved in women in ETFs, uh, please visit womeninetfs.com. That's all one word. You can write to us with questions, comments, thoughts, feedback at 
ETF Working Lunch. That's all, again, one word, at ETF.com. So on behalf of myself, Cynthia Murphy, and the rest of the ETF.com team, thank you for listening, and we will see you next episode.